Welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, where we plumb the depths of the runner's soul and strive, strive to understand the striving and strive to understand a better version of ourselves. Dead, he was a terribly happy guy, and Ned, he ate a moldy pumpkin pie, and then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ed, Ned, Fred, he's not dead. He laughed so hard that it made him cry. Hello, my good friends. I am grateful for you, even though I don't know you. Sometimes I wonder who you are. My voice, tired and sonambulant, drips wearily into your semicircular canals every fortnight, and yet we have never met. It's like the old saying, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there, does it hear Chris's voice? Am I making a noise? My avatar and I have been pushing out the Run Run Live podcast for over seven years. Do you and I have the seven-year itch? My computers tell me that some thousands of you download these episodes. I don't know if that means my slippery words are actually worming their way in, around, and past your typenum. It could be some wrinkle, some fold, some chaotic echo in the interwebs, a ghost protocol in the machine, and maybe I'm just talking to me. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm grateful for that opportunity, the breath, and the energy to spew forth this endurance sports manifesto every couple weeks. Boorah! Hooray for us, you and I, the ghosts of the roads and the tracks and the forest trails, the echoes of the footfalls in the dim mornings. We live. You know, I've never had advertisements on this show, but of course we have our expenses. I have two mistresses now, and the price of ammo and yak food keeps going up, so this week's show is brought to you by boxofsticks.com. You know how it is. You can never find good quality sticks when you go into the store. And when you do find them, they're overpriced and low quality. Well, Bill and Bob Flugelwort recognized this problem and founded BoxOfSticks.com. Each month, they'll send you a personalized box of sticks right to your front door. How do they do it? Well, let me tell you, the Flugelwort twins bought an advanced stick factory in Brazil and sourced their sticks direct, cutting out the middleman. And the best part, it's only $9.99. Boxofsticks.com. Use the coupon code D-U-M-B-A-S-S for a 10% discount if you order yours now. How much fun are we having? You're not having fun? Come on, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. On today's show, we have an interesting chat with Jake Brown, who is running around the U.S. barefoot, meeting people, having adventures, and promoting the universal good. In section one, I'm going to revisit fartlek runs, because let's face it, after seven years of podcasts, I'm out of topics. <laughs> in section two, I'll share some thoughts on the role of travel in formulating your life. Uh, my training has been interesting over the last two weeks. When I last talked to you, 
Coach had thrown me into a high mileage week, and I did not respond well. I was overtired, and all my runs were awful, classic overtraining symptoms. The hot and sticky weather didn't help either. But we rectified that by backing off for the last two weeks, and I bounced back. This week has been very good. My energy level is back up. The warning signs are very obvious. My runs were a struggle. My heart rate was elevated, even my resting heart rate. My sleep patterns were off. My old injuries started to to flare up. And the Buddha said, when the universe wants your attention, it throws a pebble. And if you don't listen, it throws a rock. And if you still don't listen, it throws a brick. And if you still don't listen, it throws a wall. Your body is very good at telling you when you've done too much. You just have to listen. And at the same time, coincidentally, I was also trying to work a miracle morning routine into my life. And this meant getting up really early to practice a morning routine of meditation, affirmation, reading, writing. But when combined with the heavy workout schedule, it just led to sleep deprivation, which made me stupid. (laughs) I couldn't remember anything. I was cranky and short-tempered. I had weird food cravings and a lack of willpower, and I ended up eating some Cheetos at work that messed me up in my digestive system for a couple of days. Shouldn't those, those little bags of processed chemicals come with the same dire warning labels as the pills they advertise on TV? Well, but I'm back in balance now. One thing I realized is that the powerful part of the Miracle Morning Routine is not the time that you get up. It's not the getting up early part. I mean, it is for some people, but it doesn't have to be. It's the daily practice part. And it doesn't have to be his Hal's routine. And no matter what time you get up, just make sure you give yourself the gift of that first hour or that first 10 minutes or that first 20 minutes before you check your email or log into Facebook, or turn on your phone. Give yourself that gift. And I asked a serious question in the Miracle Morning community on Facebook. I said, my wife likes to stay up late watching TV in bed, and I can't sleep with the TV on. How do I do this if I have to get up early? Right? So I need to sleep so I can get up. What do I do? And uh, the responses were kind of hilarious. I eventually had to shut off the responses because I was getting so many. It was over 50. And many people said the TV should not be in the bedroom and I should throw it out the window, which I would love to do, but my wife would kill me. Others hilariously said I should trade sex for TV, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, but an excellent suggestion was to get earplugs so and eye shades and just sleep there. And I said, well, if I do that, how am I going to hear the alarm? And they had a solution to this, which was to get a Fitbit with a vibration alarm. So yes, I ordered, see, long story, it's all coming back around to fitness. Yes, I ordered a Fitbit because I can't sleep with the TV on. I bought the Fitbit HR and I'll get my uh, daily heart rate too, which is good for somebody like me who has a dicey heart, right? On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zones that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. Let's talk about fartlek. Why? What's the point? What's the point of this speed play? The concept of fartlek came from the Swedish runners of my generation. Uh, Most distance runners at the time trained at specific structured paces and distances. What the Swedes figured out was that races don't happen at structured paces and distances. Fartleks are also a great way to work some speed work into your normal training runs 
without the performance pressure associated with intervals or other structured speed workouts. The fartlek is inserted into the run playfully in such a way as to allow you to enjoy the speed. Frankly, you might not even know you're doing speed work. One of my favorite workouts for getting new runners used to speed work is called a telephone pole. This is an example of a fartlek, actually. You go out for a run on any street in the world, and they will probably have some sort of landmarks on them. Maybe there are cross streets. Maybe there are train tracks. Maybe there are bus stop shelters or even big trees and rocks. Where I live, in suburbia, there are telephone poles every, I don't know, 100 feet or so. And for beginners who want to play with speed work, just run hard from one pole to the next. If you're feeling spunky, you can do two or three or four poles and make it longer. You can play with the effort and the speed and the form. You can do a fartlek just by sighting a landmark of some sort a couple of hundred meters ahead and picking up your pace until you attain it. Easy peasy. It's like that old children's game, I'll race you to that tree. Right? Fartlek can be structured. A structured 40-minute fartlek might be warm up for 10 minutes, run hard for 2 minutes, jog easy for 2 minutes, run hard for 3 minutes, etc. You could program the whole thing into your watch. In the true spirit of speed play, most fartleks are unstructured. You go out for your run, and once you're warmed up, you throw in some surges of 2 to 3 minutes every once in a while as you feel like it. In addition to speed work, Fartlek also teaches you what it feels like to vary your pace in a run, and this, coincidentally, is exactly what happens in races. Fartlek teaches you to run hard and recover mid-run. This is a great race tool. In a race, you will have situations where you will want to throw in a surge to pass a competitor or respond to a competitor's push. The Swedes figured out that Fartlek was a way to simulate these race tactics. It's not only running fast that you learn. It's running slow or controlled to recover from the effort. It's really about variety and play. I always like to relate workouts to race-specific situations and the cause and effect, but fartlek is really about playing with your paces and efforts throughout the run in a non-structured way. Frankly, it's the variety that can make a fartlek a welcome respite from structured training, but still give you some race benefit. Sometimes group runs or club runs can turn into fartleks with different members of the pack pushing the pace playfully throughout the run. It's a game. You try to drop your friends on an uphill or a downhill and see how they respond. And yell out loud when you do it. Turn it, turn running into play like you're a bunch of 10-year-olds on the playground. When I'm at home, I tend to run the same 7-mile trail loop, and it's quite hilly. And so if I'm doing a fartlek... To mix things up, I'll play with the hills. I might do fartlek surges on the uphills one day, or the downhills the next, and on the flats on another, and this keeps it fun and playful, and it keeps me from getting into a rut. It confuses a dog, but it keeps the runs fun and interesting. It gives you something to anticipate, something to look forward to. When you do these surges, since it is play, you can do them as hard or as easy as you like. For me, I'll typically accelerate into a tempo pace that is maybe 70 to 80% effort. It's not all out. 
I'm not sprinting from one point to another, then dying at the end. I'm accelerating into tempo effort and then decelerating back into an easy pace at the end of the fartlek. In terms of your heart rate zones, you would be starting in a base zone 2, then accelerating up into zone 3 or 4, then returning to zone 2. In terms of pace, your surge is probably 30 seconds a mile faster than your marathon goal pace. Now, these are guidelines. Listen to your machine. If you get caught up looking at your watch, or worse, programming the fartlek into your watch, you're doing it wrong. That's not a fartlek. That's an interval workout. (laughs) There's another version of speed play where you do the intervals super hard, zone 5 speed effort level. And these I will typically do on the road. My trails are fairly technical and don't really lend themselves to this kind of speed work. If you do true speed intervals, you might surge for only 20 or 30 seconds. This pace may be a full minute per mile faster than your marathon goal pace. Again, the protocol is to accelerate into the speed, hold it for 30 seconds or so, focusing on pace and form, then decelerate to recover your pace. Make sure you're warmed up. Recover for a minute or so until your heart rate comes down to zone two. Then do it again when you feel like it. Fartlek is Swedish for speed play, but for us, we can use it as a stress-free way to sneak some quality speed work into our runs. Let's face it, running's supposed to be fun. Let your inner child off the leash once in a while and play. And now for our featured interview, because we can always learn something new from others, and some people are super interesting. How you doing, Jake? Where you at tonight? Somewhere in St. Louis. <laughs> it's probably pretty hot there, huh? Yeah, not as hot as it was on Tuesday. That was a scorcher, but um, it, it warmed up enough to be noticeable today. Well, I'll tell you what. I got a friend who lives in uh, St. Louis who's a runner. I don't think he's there now because I think he's out in Colorado getting ready for Leadville. But uh, I can oh, right check on. that. Yeah, and he was posting some pictures. said it was like 109 or or something. Or or ninety nine or something like that earlier this week out there. Well, that's just kooky talk. <laughs> well, that's that's where you are. Are you in a tent? No, no, I haven't road? been in a no? tent. No, I haven't been in a tent for weeks. Um, so so many awesome people have been supporting me out here. I, I've only had to sleep in a tent like three times in the last maybe six weeks. Uh, people just aren't letting me suffer anymore. <laughs> oh, man, you're going to get soft. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> it's, it's been so easy going. I put on my pack today to walk into the house, and I was like, dang, this thing's heavy. What kind of idiot would run with this? <laughs> <laughs> so um, so give us the uh, the 200 words on who you are and what you're doing. <clears throat> well, they call me Barefoot Jake Brown because, well, I do run barefoot. I'm currently running from Huntington Beach, California to Manhattan, New York City, New York. Started around March, started on March 5th, should finish around the first week of October. Uh, that's including a break to go run the Virgil Crest Ultra's 100 mile trail race in Cortland, New York. And I'm doing it to raise awareness for the Bear Soul Project, a private initiative promoting a global community and conscious lifestyle. So this is cool, so cool, and it's and it's timely for me too because I just this week finished um, reading or rereading that book uh, Vagabonding, 
And that's kind of what you're doing is you're kind of like wandering around the country running, you know, which is a great tool for seeing stuff and, uh, and just hanging out and meeting people. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool experience. Um, as you say, I'm running and meeting people, and that's kind of the point behind this run is uh, to, to run, well, from one coach to the other and to be supported by the generosity of strangers along the way. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to meet people from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes and creeds um, from coast to coast. And it's a really cool thing to get to watch unfold first person. Yeah, you're going to have something valuable there that uh, you're going to be able to carry stories you're going to be able to tell for the rest of your life. It's uh, it's amazing. And it's, it's I have so many questions for you, so I'll try to sort it out and be logical. But what prompted you to decide to go out on this quest to run unsupported barefoot across America? That's the question. The first question everybody asks, and it's it's kind of hard to answer. It just sort of made sense. Uh, I, I fell in love with running, discovered this this natural running style. Forgot my shoes on the way to a trail race, so that's that's where the barefoot running comes from. As far as running across the country, uh, back in 2013, I supported a lady who ran from uh, Pismo Beach to. It was a cat pasture beach there in Norwalk, Connecticut. Donated five months of my time to her. She ran out of money early on. So I started making support calls to get her free room and board, get us free room and board. And it worked really well. Um, I got good at it. And I cultivated this transcontinental network of businesses and individuals. And when I got to the end of it with her, I, I stood in the Atlantic Ocean, looked back, and it was like, well, what was it all for? You know, were they just doing it for us? Because we raised a few thousand dollars, not a whole lot. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of a following behind it. So not a lot of publicity for the businesses. And I thought, you know, was it just about us? You know, it should be about them. It should be about this broader concept, this philosophy, if you will. And I thought, how can I, you know, do that justice? I thought, well, why don't I go back across the country? And, and at the time I started hitchhiking. And, and revisit these businesses and, and tell the story again in more detail and try to tie it all together, try to show these people how connected they really are, even if they haven't met each other, even if they never will, show them that they're, they're all part of this bigger picture. And then it just kind of turned into a run. <laughs> so about this time last year is when I decided that I was going to run across the country. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of been that since, you know, tying it all together. I think I remember, though, when we did um, the Marine Corps last year, did you come down for that? I seem to remember you were out running around the country then, too. Uh, yeah, I was hitchhiking around. I actually um, hitchhiked from California all the way back to New York and then uh, ran a 50-mile trail race up there and then hitched down to uh, to Arlington and then uh, D.C. to run the Marine Corps Marathon for Team M2EPC, Miles to End Prostate <laughs> Cancer on behalf of a yep. guy named Jeff Klein, who um, has stage four, I believe it was, um, advanced prostate cancer. Like, the guy's practically dying. Um, but I had a lot of yeah, respect for him. He was um, using himself as an example to remind us guys to, to get screened for it, catch it early. It was my privilege to get to run on his team. Um, unfortunately, I had a pre-existing ankle injury. So I was on my way to my first sub-three-hour marathon uh, and then my ankle blew out, but I was there for it. And it was a really cool race to be involved in and a, an awesome team to be a member of. 
Um, but unfortunately, I actually didn't complete that race. So you were going to run sub three and bare feet at Marine Corps is what you're telling me? Yeah, but I wouldn't be the first. Um, I'm not the <laughs> fastest barefoot runner. I'm definitely putting in the most miles of any barefoot runner out there right now, but I'm not the fastest. I was there. Um, I actually ran with Jeff. I was uh, I was with him uh, most of the way in that race. He's he's an interesting character. He's a great coach. You know, when you're doing all this mileage on your on your barefoot tactically, have you what have you noticed? What have you how how have you noticed your body adapting to that? Well, first there was pain uh, transitioning to the barefoot style. Uh, you know, they call it a style. It's not really a style. It's just how you're supposed to run. It's how your body was meant to run. Uh, and there, there was a lot of pain at first transitioning into it um, because my feet had been, my feet and my whole body had been deformed by the, the shoes that I was wearing. Uh, I used to be uh, a rancher and a cowboy and, and a carpenter, so I was wearing these boots had real thick, stiff soles and, and uh, high heels. I used to hate running, but when I did it, I always wore shoes with a lot of arch support and elevated heels. Uh, so all, all the wrong stuff. You know, my, my shins and uh, my ankles, all my tendons and my lower leg were, were very, very weak. And I had the whole full spectrum of injuries, you know, stress fractures in my arch, shin splints, cramps and pulled tendons and muscles in my calves and uh, all sorts of pains. But over time, my body broke down, and then I was able to rebuild it uh, the way it's supposed to be. And since then, it's been a whole lot easier. So out here, I haven't really gone through any new stages since I started this race, uh, this run. Um, I started in really good shape and well-experienced as a barefoot runner. But the, my strategy is basically to, to, to run as long as it's comfortable within reason. I mean, when you're running 20 miles plus a day, it, it's not going to be comfortable the entire time. But... There, there, there's a point that I won't push myself beyond. Case in point being when I was between Carthage and Springfield and I was pushing to make it to an event that I was going to speak at in Springfield and I knew that I was getting injured and I pushed myself too far, became injured, and that's when I actually had to accept that first emergency ride. Uh, it's been like I'm on vacation because now I can get a ride to a hotel or a house or something and back again. Yeah, but, but the strategy is pretty much to, to you know, just not push myself beyond that limit. And that's one of the key lessons of barefoot running. Yeah, I would imagine that, you know, runners in general, when you've been running long distance for a long time, you learn your body's signals really well. You know, you get very adept at listening to your body. And I would imagine um, barefoot running just adds another layer to that where you you're, let your body talk to you even more clearly, right? Yeah, they, they care. Like your feet actually care about, what happens to the rest of your body. So they won't let you do something that's going to hurt the rest of you if you're willing to listen. I noticed when I was doing a little bit of barefoot running was that my feet tended, they, they really spread out, you know, all the connective tissue really loosened up and they, they became almost like, you know, like pads instead of, um, instead of the sort of tight feet that you're used to when you're running in shoes, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, shoes really like misshape your feet. I mean, they 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 contort them. They they literally change the way they're shaped, and it it changes your center of gravity, your foot placement. It's, it's just it's it's unnatural. Now now shoes can be used as tools, but it's important to use the tools and not be the tool. You're out there running running across the country unsupported. I mean, how do you get enough food? to, uh, you know, run 20 miles a day, because that's, you know, that's a couple thousand calories. 
You think so? Surprisingly, I can actually run a very long distance. I can run for weeks, getting no more than thirteen thirteen hundred calories a day. Although I've been getting a lot more than that recently, and I have been able to run a lot faster because of it. Officially, I'm unsupported, but in reality, <laughs> officiality and reality are two different things on this run. Officially, I'm unsupported, but really, I'm getting a lot of support. It's just unplanned. It's people showing up. And, yeah. and being there yeah. in the spur of the moment. I mean, sometimes last second. When I ran the first 900 miles, I had a packed driver a couple of days, but it, there were few and far between. Uh, for the most part, I was carrying up to 57 pounds worth of gear on my back and running 20 to 30 miles a day with all that gear. You know, on I-40 out through Arizona and New Mexico, that was probably the most lonely section several hundred miles I ate what I could <laughs> I got I got pretty strung out there for a while because eating a lot of like candy bars and sodas and crap at gas stations uh, there <laughs> there were some pretty pretty tough stretches out there <laughs> but for the last like 800 900 miles I've had a lot of direct support just unplanned it just happened in the moment so people have been bringing me home-cooked meals and food and restaurants, hotels, they all hook me up, mostly restaurants these days. I don't, I don't carry ID, so it's a little hard to get into some hotels. <laughs> like restaurants that give me food. These days, so many people have been donating, it, it's, it's very easy for me to eat well. To answer your question, because so many people have been supporting it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because you must, you, 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 first of all, you must have some great stories to tell from people you meet and things you see and just sort of wander into out camping and out on the road and doing this stuff. You're running on the, the road in bare feet. You're kind of scraggly. You know, you get the long hair and the, and the dreads <laughs> and the scraggly beard. Do people ever yeah. like think you're, you're like an ax murderer? You get pulled <laughs> over a lot. Well, I don't carry an ax, but yeah, people definitely oftentimes will judge right now. I mean, the gear that I carry is like, if a person has half a clue and they take a look at me, they've got to be able to tell that, that my gear is well put together and it's well organized. But a lot of people just judge the book by the cover and they, they just take it all in at a glance and, and they don't uh, they don't pay close attention. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm treated like a, like a bum quite often. Not so much these days. Uh, it, it's very interesting how when I'm running with the pack, people are, are more likely to make those, those ne sort of negative assumptions about me when I'm running with, you know, when I'm running shirtless with just my shorts and a couple of hand bottles. They say, well, oh, this guy's legit. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> uh, it's, kind of, yeah. it's kind of funny how that works. Uh, I haven't really put together that formula yet. I don't really understand why, uh, but it's very interesting. But I've had people pull up when I was, you know, running with my with a big red is what I call it, my, my big red backpack. Um, I've had people pull up and you know, just say, you know, hey, where are you going, man? Like, you're obviously up to something. You know, what's your cause? And they're obviously the ones paying attention. I've had people pull up and try to, <laughs> I had one lady back in liberal Kansas. Her name was Marta. And she pulled up to me at an intersection and tried to make me take shoes. And there was a bit of a language barrier between us. She's Hispanic. <laughs> and she was just trying to force me to take these shoes. I was like, no, it's cool. I'm trying to like tell her with sign language, like amateur sign language. I was like, no, I'm running across the country. 
I'm doing it barefoot. It's cool. I'm fine. <laughs> um, there's, there's a lot of assumptions made, but what, what's important is that, that people are willing to be open and are willing to be wrong. I'm wrong every day. I make assumptions myself. As experienced as I am in this, in this world, you know, meeting new people, seeing new things, I make assumptions all the time. It's just so important that you know, we stay open and ready to realize something new and then seek to understand it. And I think one of your biggest weapons here is you're always smiling, right? And you you get a really good attitude. That probably disarms people right off the bat, right? Once they get past the crust. Some people are thrown off by that. Like this guy is like carrying his home on his back. What right does he have to be happy? Why is he so happy? <laughs> <laughs> and now you sort of transition from being, you know, unsupported living in a tent to being the cause celeb where every place you go, they have a little party for you, right? Yeah, uh, it's kind of interesting that people will choose to focus on that individual. The reality is that I am a traveler and a runner, and and I'm a social creature. So I'm going to travel anyway, I'm going to run anyway, and I want to meet new friends. And that's, that's what I want to do, and so it's what I am doing. And, and, and folks, many folks don't realize that, you know, it's really nothing special. All I'm doing is just running in a straight line. That's, that's the only sacrifice I'm really making here is that, well, there's two sacrifices. I'm running a little bit more than I typically would in training. And, and two, I'm running in a straight line. <laughs> Except for this weekend, I'll actually be running a five-mile race, going in the wrong direction. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting that, that people tend to focus on me what what I hope and what I do fortunately see happening a lot is that after people involve themselves in that story via supporting me directly, they, they take a step back and Facebook is an awesome tool for this. They they see that they and I are just small parts, just cogs in a much bigger machine or a much larger picture. And and hopefully they realize that they are very much connected with the other individuals in that picture. And what I hope to accomplish by that, by, by helping people to realize this, I want them to understand that they are a part of a global community. And that is the Better Soul Project. It promotes a global community and conscious lifestyle. So I want them to understand that you know, if you're in you know, Washington State or in Florida, that you're still neighbors, that what you do there now still impacts someone there and then <laughs> um, you know, down the road, even if you're never going to meet each other, and that we're all absolutely neighbors and a part of the same broad community and by golly it's time we start acting like it and and behaving consciously doesn't mean that people need to change their lifestyles it just means that i hope that they will be conscious of the other living breathing beings in this beautiful world around them i've traveled a lot not a lot but enough internationally and when i was younger too and one of the first things you you know two things you pick up right away the first is, you know, the biggest tool that you bring with you when you travel is your attitude about the travel. So, you know, there would be people who would come into a new place, a foreign country, and just start complaining about all the things they didn't have and how it wasn't like where they were from. And there would be people who were more like me and, and go in with an open mind and say, all right, let's 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 see what's cool, right? Let's, let's hang out. Let's learn what's going on and, and see what's what. And then the second thing you realize real quickly is people are people. It doesn't matter where they are or what they're doing. The cultures may be different, but people are people. And I think that's the universal nature of it that, that you're getting at as well. 
Yeah, there's some amazing differences between cultures and, and regions, and those, those should be celebrated and studied. But we do all have so so many um, basic national similarities. You know, we, we we tend to care about those close to us. We all seek comfort. I think that we all have this this natural desire to help help one another, to help those in our tribe. And that once once we make that connection and decide, okay, this this person, they're they're a member of my tribe. Like they, I have some sort of of uh, like you know primal investment in them as as a living, breathing being. Uh, we want to help yeah. them. And, and yeah, and I, they... I want folks to realize that you know we're all a part of the same tribe. Yeah, make make those people become real because you've actually had some connection with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a lot harder to dismiss people when you've. Uh, you know, when you've had uh, had a meal with them and and, and talked to them, right? So yeah, uh, I think that once you've looked somebody in the eye, it's a lot harder to uh, take advantage of them. But I, I don't think that we need to meet face to face to have you know a natural, healthy respect for each other and and to feel that sort of uh, camaraderie and, um, and and to want to do good by the next person. So, what's your best story, Jake? Oh, what are you looking for? You want to be scared? Uh, <laughs> you, you, you want to hear something more risque? I don't know. I've got so many. <laughs> uh, well, Let's see. Keep it R-rated. Keep it R-rated for me. I didn't even think about that, but I'm sure uh, <laughs> that's, that's that's my frame. I'm not a I'm not your age. You want to hear about uh, you want to hear about the rattle you want to hear about the rattlesnake or the nudist swinger colony? I'll, I'll take both. I, I got time. Both. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, hopefully, between, hopefully, uh, hopefully that wasn't wasn't the same story either, because that could get ugly. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, fortunately not. Uh, uh, the, the, mo- the more recent one was the rattlesnake story. That was between Parker, Arizona, and Kingman, Arizona. Um, I'd run 20 miles in the morning, actually a really fast 20 miles too. Met my pack. It was one of the few days early on when I had a pack driver, and so I, I was going to take a nap and then run another like 10 or something in the evening. So I threw out my sleeping mat and my sleeping bag, no tent. I don't, I don't like to pitch my tent. In the, you know, it's going to get wet overnight. I just passed out on the ground, woke up a few hours later, sun's still beating down, started to pack up my stuff. And the, the sun was beating down. I had a little bit of shade. So I was trying to pack up while lying down. So I would stand up in the direct sunlight and uh, I, the wind was picking up and I heard this noise. And I thought it was the wind in my plastic bags because all my all my loose stuff goes in plastic bags. It's rule number one. Everything goes in a plastic bag. And rule number two is the plastic bags go in a plastic bag. I assumed that. And then I felt something touch my arm. And I was like, man, yeah, you trained yourself. I mean, if you hear something, if you feel something unnatural or weird, like you look, you always check. So I turned around and looked. And there's this like four and a half, five foot freaking rattlesnake. It's a big old son of a gun. <laughs> just like just crawling along there already touched my arm and i jumped up you know screamed holy crap and yeah you know, i grabbed my phone <laughs> in that instant and, and then i immediately made myself calm down because i immediately thought like you know, dude this, this could happen anytime you knew this is going to happen you've had nightmares about this so i squatted down just like two body lengths away from him or her i don't know how to tell the difference and i squatted down i talked to it I was like, hey, Mr. Snake, come on, dude. You know, this is my this is my sleeping area. Like, what, what the hell are you doing? You scared the crap out of me. I'm trying to relax and recover here. And, and the snake was like, yeah, bro. Like, 
you're in the middle of the desert, man. Yeah, I didn't, didn't expect some barefoot hippie to come wandering through. You're in my backyard, home. And said, oh, okay, that's a good that's a good point. You know, check it out. You know, search my stuff. You know, whatever you got to do. Snake pokes around a little bit. Interesting fact: he did not go across my sleeping area, and, and I felt like they had a little personal connection. He, he's kind of like telling me, like, I meant you no harm. You know, I wasn't trying to wasn't trying to disturb you. I was just checking you out. Uh, yeah. And so I'm very glad that I did that because. Seven hours later, or so I had to do the same thing: throw out my stuff on the ground and go to sleep in the open. So I'm very glad that I didn't like freak out and run away. Uh, that I sat down, and I think that's how we should approach the things that scare us in life. Instead of just running away blindly in fear, we should squat down and talk to it and be like, "Hey, you know, why? Why is this so scary? Why? Why is this happening? And uh, and this is how I feel about it." And, and you confront your fears. Uh, instead of just teaching yourself to be afraid of everything. Uh, so I was very glad that I did that. The nudist swinger resort, that that was um, actually from my run last year in California. And um, <laughs> where that happened, I had, I had a hip injury. I didn't know that I was going to a, string, a, uh, a nudist resort at first. There, it was the only place nearby where I could get uh, room and board. They just gave me a place to get pitch my tent, really. But it was in the shade and electricity and stuff. But then after the run, they called me up and said, hey, man, like, we, you, you did a great job. You know, your, your long run there for Semper Fi Fund, you want to come back and we'll sponsor you with a free month. So I came back, and by that point, they switched ownership, and there were now a nudist and swinger resort. So um, <laughs> to, keep, to keep, it PG, keep it relatively PG, I saw things, man. <laughs> and it was, it was very interesting. You know, we, we chuckle about it because – it's like so unconventional and against mainstream, like what's kosher. But really, it's just these people were living a very unconventional, but totally legitimate lifestyle. I mean, you know, wives and husbands were trading places with each other, you know, socially and things that we don't conventionally accept as a society. But but they were happy and they were a solid community. And it was really cool to see that. Because it was so against the grain. It, like So much of it was what I've been trained to think is wrong. But these people were truly happy living that way. And the couple that hosted me actually, ironically, were not swingers or nudists. But they were manufacturers of high-quality marijuana edibles. So I got to see that as well. And again, very happy. And they were helping people. I mean, their, their products were going to cancer patients and combat-wounded veterans who are like missing huge chunks of their bodies and use this stuff um, not just to dull the pain, but, you know, to, um, in part to dull the pain, but, but to help themselves relax and become members of our society again. Uh, so I got to see a yeah. lot of really interesting things out there. And, and those, those are just two little, snap, little tiny snapshots, as much time yeah. as you yeah. tell those stories, yeah. the snapshots of what I get to see out here. Yeah, but it's a testament to you and your attitude that you're open to, you know, to take that stuff in and not get freaked out by it, you know? I mean, that's the attitude you have to be when you're a traveler. Yeah. Yeah, you know, every once in a while, somebody pulls a knife on you or sticks a gun in your face, it happens. <laughs> but 99.9% yeah. of the experiences are really, really positive. <laughs> yeah. All right. So um, what uh, if people want to help you out, where do they go? Well, you can help me out or you can help out the causes that I promote. Checking out the bearsoulproject.com. That's T H E. B-A-R-E-S-O-L-E-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com. 
If you want to find out more about this particular run, click on the Unrun link. It's right there on the on the main homepage. You'll see right at the top, there's a link to donate to support this run. At this particular time, as of uh, 7.34 p.m. Central Time on July 30th, I'm doing all right. People have been donating very heavily. I'd really appreciate it if folks would donate to Semper Fi Fund. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Donations are tax deductible. Semper Fi was there to support my friend, Pat Holko, um, grew up with him. He stepped on an IED and staying in Afghanistan and was injured. They support guys like him and uh, they do a great job of it. Uh, they're, they're a really good organization and I very much appreciate it. My birthday is coming up on August 7th. It'd be a great birthday present to me if you guys would please donate to Semper Fi Fund and show that some love. Yeah. on run page. <laughs> yeah, I'll put the links in the notes. Sure that you're going through that page. Uh, if you just go to semperfifund.org, that's awesome if you donate directly to them, but I don't take any money out of it, but would you like to keep track of where the money's coming from, keep track of our impact? Cool. Keep in a journal, are you going to write a book? Ain't that what Facebook's for? Um, that's, <laughs> that's where most of it's recorded is on Facebook. Um, I haven't really kept a private journal in, in a long time. But you know, most of the pictures are on Facebook and tons of pictures aren't on Facebook. And, and those will be memory joggers. When yes, I will write a book eventually, probably next year. But awesome. we'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm the master of procrastination. Awesome. awesome. All right. I'm going to let you go. Thanks for the right time. On, dude. I appreciate it. Good luck. Oh, likewise. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. And thank you for sharing the story. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers, Bye-bye. Mike. Peace. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. Vagabonding. So I read, or I maybe I reread, I can't remember, Ralph Potts' Vagabonding book last week. Because Tim Ferriss keeps giving it such high praise, like it's one of the seminal works of the 20th century. So I had to go through it again to see what all the fuss was about. And honestly, it's a combination of sort of Traveler, Philosophy, and New Agey Travel Guide. It's a small book and an easy read. It's a bit of a travel adventure manifesto where you're encouraged to disengage from your life and go take an extended walkabout. It's an easy and in some places thought-provoking read, but I think the people who lionize it are influenced by their own travel experiences in such a way that the book looms large for them as a testament to their experience. Standalone and out of context, it's just another travel book penned by someone who is classically read, who has walked to the edge of the world and seen the dragons. For most of us, this vagabonding is a barely imaginable concept. To walk away from your busy life and to wander about for a few months or years soaking up other places and other cultures seems an absurd prospect when you can't even put down your smartphone for five minutes. But it's a good reminder that this is always an option. There's really nothing stopping you. Mr. Potts makes a big deal out of explaining that you really don't need much money to survive extended travel if you do it in the vagabonding style. And this might be seen as a young and single person's game. Indeed, it would be hard for us more established folk to walk away from our mortgages, our kids, our careers, There are certain times or seasons of your life that lend themselves more to this type of travel adventure. For the young, unattached, and unfettered, this would be a natural option. 
The book talks about how you can spend six months or a year putting your affairs in order and scratching together enough scratch to have an extended adventure. That makes sense. I wish all young people would spend some time in other cultures with other people. I had the great privilege of having a travel job early in my career that took me to the far pavilions. Even though I was working when I was traveling, or maybe because I was working when I was traveling, I got to soak up the local vibes. Culture is the wrong word. When you say culture, you think museums and temples. And I walked through plenty of temples in my travels. But that wasn't where I learned the culture. The culture was at people's homes and out on the street being lost and looking for directions in a foreign language. It's the people and their context that give you that perspective. It's the perspective of travel that broadens you and adds value to you intrinsically. It's not the stories, although the stories are great. It's not the places, although those are great. It's the people and the context. One of the most interesting things for me in my travel life is meeting people, other people, strangers, and other travelers. It's easy to go to a place as a tourist and not even see it. You need to belly up to the bar, turn to the person next to you, and ask, so what do you do? The thing that Potts gets right in his book and that most travelers know is that travel is an attitude, not a place. It doesn't matter if you're at your local grocery or in a yurt in Timbuktu. It is your attitude that will allow you to be present in that place. And that is the attitude of the traveler. I can remember when I worked in Mexico, some of the expatriates who came down from the States were saddened by the poverty. They couldn't see beyond their own frame of reference. To them, a corrugated metal shack without running water was suffering and plight. And sure, there are drawbacks to being dirt poor, but unhappiness and suffering may or may not be among them. I bet my coworkers could learn from a few days and nights with those families and their many simple joys. A traveler casts aside their notions of privilege and is simply present in the moment and the place that they are. You are not in charge of fixing things. You are responsible to have the mindset of a student, to be present, to listen, and maybe to understand a little, because you can never understand it all, but that's okay. And that's what makes travel fun, the sensory strangeness, the otherworldliness, the feeling of being untethered and being okay with that, letting that flow over and through you and change you and enrich you. And I remember the people who would fly into India for work with me and be so overwhelmed by the ferocity of human existence in Mumbai that they would lock themselves in the hotel room and not come out until it was time to leave. The smell, the noise, the dust, the heat, the crippled beggar children leaning in your taxi window and asking for English copper pennies, the rich, sweaty crush of life and death, it was too much. Buffer overload, unable to rationalize the process, the circuit breaker pops and they shut down. You can't fit a traffic jam in Chennai into a Massachusetts frame of reference. It's a mistake to try. What you can do is be present without expectation and breathe the spirit of the place. Recognize it and enjoy the movie without trying to fit it into your frame. Leave your frame of reference at home. 
And that's what they mean when they say travel broadens the mind. It means it will shatter your frame of reference. It has the power to toss your lifelong assumptions to the gutter, and that broadens the mind. Approach travel and life with an empty mind, and you'll profit from it. Quote, what better way to discover the unknown than to follow your instincts instead of your plans? So bring that attitude of travel to your life. Break your frame of reference. Get out and see the world. Meet the people. Drink in the world. People are people. When you travel in this world, you'll soon discover that people are people. No matter where you are, you will meet the same good, bad, interesting, and mundane people. We are a universal culture, whether we like to acknowledge it or not. You have as much in common with the denizens of foreign lands as you do with your neighbors. That's another way that travel broadens the mind. Having traveled and supped with the humans on the other side of the planet, you realize that our nationalism and racism and xenophobia are ridiculous constructs. Quote, cling fiercely to your ideologies and you'll miss the subtle realities that politics can't address. There really is no reason you couldn't drop everything and go on a long walkabout in the world. You could leave your job, take the kids, just go. It's funny that when we meet these people out on the road, we think, oh, how lucky they are to be able to travel the world like that. The only thing keeping any of us from doing so is the decision to do it. And there's, yeah, a hippie-esque bias that you have to sleep in tents and hitchhike to get the benefits of travel. You know, staying in hotels and taking showers doesn't make travel any less worthy unless you're insulating yourself from the populace. Travel is an attitude, not a means of conveyance. Get out there. Find your world. Have an adventure. Broaden your mind. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Great job, my friends. You are accomplished citizens of the Run Run Live communal congregation. You have made it to the outer reaches of episode 4-318 of the Run Run Live podcast. How do you do it? I'm impressed. I really am. Um, I was supposed to go up to Vermont to do a bike and beer weekend with my buddy Dan, but, uh, yep, things stepped in, and I'm going to miss that, too. We've talked to Dan on here before. He's my crazy mountain biking friend. was in my wedding party, and uh, one of the first people I met when I showed up in my freshman dorm at college. And it's amazing that our trajectories have synced over so many years. So, interesting. But alas... My darling wife has other plans for this weekend that involve toilets in our Cape Cod house, and I'm okay with that. Installing toilets is a little bit like a sprint triathlon. It sounds hard, but it's actually pretty easy. So it looks like my next race will be the Hood to Coast Adventure at the end of the month. And I can still take donations if you'd like to help me fight some cancer. The links are on my website at runrunlib.com and in the show notes. And after that, the week next week after that, I'm running the Wapak Trail Race. Come up and join me. 18 miles of beautiful trails, four mountains, twice, but they're small mountains, and it's very friendly. To take you out, I'll share with you a short piece that I penned one morning while deep in the trance of the Miracle Morning. It's called, Mastering Others is Strength, but Mastering Yourself is True Power. And that's a quote from Lao Tzu. I have said it often, and we'll say it again. You cannot hope to influence others unless you know yourself. 
This is what holds us back through most of our lives, our ability not to ignore our inner demons, but to invite them in and make peace with them. Nagging wives, busy politicians, and invasive bosses all lack the ability to lead people. They have not learned to lead themselves and instead manifest their weakness in their attacks on others. If you are centered, you can surf above the tumults of this tacky world and see it from a position of strength. The world won't teach you this. You have to seek self-knowledge on your own. The world doesn't want you to live at peace with yourself because there's no profit in that. The best way to control people is to let them be filled with fear and unsettled. Then they will mindlessly take any answer and buy any product and give away any liberty for a chance at inner peace. You don't have to. Inner peace is inside you. Your true power is waiting for you to walk naked through the doors of perception. Look inward. Make peace with yourself. Understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. Understand what makes you happy and what troubles you. Start to think. Start to absorb. Start to review and communicate what makes you powerful. Start to believe. Build that strength every day by stacking one rock on top of another until you have a castle of self-power. That is the power of daily practice. Practice in the discovery of self and then the affirmation of that self and then the projection of that self out into the world, out into the universe. This is not a project that has a completion point. This is a lifetime of effort and practice. This is the process of wearing away the messy dirt of the world and scrubbing clean the windows to your soul. Begin today, and I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. My phone is ringing. Hold on.